Brethren, this evening our text comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 22 through 26. That's our text. I'm I'm sorry, I'll, I'll begin my reading at verse 17. Mark chapter 14, verse 17 through 26. Here once again the very Word of God. In the evening He came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him by one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to to the Mount of Olives. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we remember the great institution that you brought to the new covenant, as Christ blessed bread and blessed the cup and said to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. Father, as we remember that even this evening, we do so with gratitude in our hearts. What you have given us are visible signs and seals of a promise that shall always be kept. That is, that Christ has died to forgive us of our sins and that He rose that we might be resurrected as well. Father, that promise in Your new covenant, the covenant in which we live, is ours by virtue of Your decree, the work of Christ, and the efficacious drawing of Your Spirit upon the hearts and lives of men. We, we give thanks, Lord. And as we consider these verses this evening, as we, as we look into the emphasis that the Spirit is drawing our attention to, help us to be mindful that these good gifts, these are perfect gifts, they come from Your holy hands, and that they are for our benefit and our edification. And we give thanks in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Well, brethren, I, I, I hate to tell you this a little bit, but I'm going to do a little experiment tonight. So I, I want you to critique my sermon. Um, I'm using very few notes tonight. I'm trying to get away from my notes. I've been encouraged to do that. And so uh, tonight I'm going to do that. Uh, but I do have a few notes here to, just to keep me on track so I don't get too far off track. Uh, but I'd like to hear from you afterward what you think. This portion of Mark's Gospel is the shortest of all of the accounts of Christ instituting the Lord's Supper. 
And that's typical for Mark because it's the smallest of all of the Gospels. And he gives vignettes of the life of Christ. It's likely, very likely, that those vignettes come from his discussions with Peter. You'll remember that Mark was the young man who had gone out with with Barnabas and Paul on a missionary journey and was sent back because Paul believed he wasn't ready. It's very likely that when he went back that he sat under the tutelage of Peter and was discipled by Peter the Apostle at that time, formerly the disciple. And so as he sits under the tutelage of Peter and he takes the the notes, it's very likely then that Mark's Gospel were notes that he kept uh, as a result of his tutelage under Peter. These vignettes, these small descriptions of very important things throughout the life of Christ, are very much the same when it comes to the Lord's table. And there are certain things that I think are being emphasized here that we need to take particular note of. The first is the context in which Jesus is instituting this this uh, uh, sacrament. Uh, the, sa- the word sacrament comes from a word that means set apart for a holy use, sacred. And of course the Lord's Supper is set apart as a meal unique in all of history. Uh, it comes to fruition in the book of Revelation at the Lamb's high feast when the bride and the and the uh, bridegroom are brought together, Christ and His church are made one uh, in the presence of the living God, the Father. And uh, uh, there's a feast that takes place. What we celebrate prior to that feast points to that feast, a culminating feast. However, having said that, there are some culminating important events that happened at the time of the first institution of the Lord's Supper. Jesus sets the context in the midst of betrayal. That's where he begins the context here. There is one who will betray me. And he's saying it's, it's soon to happen. When we go back through uh, the Synoptic Gospels and look at the other accounts, we see each of them speak to the same notion, the importance of the betrayer, who would be Judas Iscariot. But here... Like the other Gospels, the disciples don't know who that person is. Certainly Judas does. By this time, he's already arranged the conspiracy to bring about Christ's abduction and then eventual death. He knows it's him, but no one else has even an inkling of that. And we see that from the passage here, where these men are asking themselves, is it me? Is it me? And Jesus does not give them that answer, but he does say something very important. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written, verse 21, just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. This first statement by Christ, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, speaks to the purpose for which Christ had come. He is submitting to the will of the Father. He is entering toward His death. And He realizes it. And He admits right here, I'm steadfast in purpose. In John's Gospel, over and over, we see the the phrase, 
where he's talking to his disciples and they, they want him to rise up against the Roman rule, he says, my hour has not yet come. He reminds them that there's a purpose for which he has come and that hour has yet to come. And then later, of course, in John's Gospel, he speaks of the hour having come. The hour is now here. And here, these words that we find in Mark's Gospel speak to that very same notion. The hour is upon us. Well, with the hour upon them, Jesus talks about woe to this man who betrays him. It would have been better had he never been born. Truly, that's the case. God is just. God is always just. He doesn't look askance at sin. He judges it. All sin will be judged in human history. Every sin will be judged. The question is, how will it be judged? Will it be judged in a substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, or will it be judged by God Himself upon your own lives and mine? For those who put their trust in Christ, who believe that He died for them, the substitutionary atonement takes the wrath of God. And I'll speak about that in just a few moments. But for the man who does not put his trust in Christ, as Judas did not, woe to that man. And in Judas's case, that woe is so great, it would have better he had never been born than to do what he was about to do. I believe the Spirit wants us to focus on that a little bit as we see what's about to take place in the institution of the Lord's table. I think God, through His Spirit, wants us to think, look at this man's sin. Look at the severity of it. Consider that. Now look at what Christ does. The con contrast is, is palpable. Here's a man whose sins are so great, and yet Christ is going to take upon Himself the sins of the world, multiply all the sins of the world. He would take those upon Himself and give us newness of life. The contrast is palpable, and I think intentional. But indeed... Jesus then says, as they were eating, He took the bread. He said, take, eat, this is My body. As He gives them bread. Well, what, what's the importance of that? Why, why, so, why take notice of that, Jesus? Then He took the cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And He said to them, this is My blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, turn your attention from the meal for a moment and realize that I am your meat and your portion, both in salvation and your daily living. You need to feed upon the Word of God. You need to feed on... The Word made flesh who dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. This is your sustenance. This is how you live. This is where true life is found. Is it any wonder then that Jesus says, Do this in remembrance of Me? 
Salvation comes from no other than Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Chosen One. Who in just a few moments we're going to look at another cup that, took, that was taken that evening. It was very different from this cup that he then turns their attention to after they've eaten the bread. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. Now some of the older manuscripts, at least for two of the Gospels, I believe it's Matthew's Gospel and Mark's Gospel, don't have the, the adjective new covenant here, new. But in Luke's Gospel, I believe, if memory serves me correctly, the word new does appear in the, in the early transcripts of the Bible. This is important, brethren. Christ is instituting signs and seals related to a new covenant. When Christ had, and God the Father had made covenants throughout the Old Testament, He often added to them very deliberately signs and seals. Some of them are a little more vague, and I'll get to that in a minute. We'll look at each of the covenants very quickly. But these signs and seals were for the benefit of the recipients not just the day that they were instituted, but in His command to do this in remembrance of Him, and we see in 1 Corinthians 11 as well as in the early chapters of Acts where uh, initially daily the church had communion services because they met daily to worship, and then later it went to weekly. These were, these were benefits given to the people of God to give them remembrance of what Christ had done. They didn't live in the age in the age of digital media, you, where you know I carry around. I have a phone in my pocket. It has the Word of God on it. You can get on the internet, pull down BibleGateway.com anytime you want, and read the Word of God, or any number of other Bible uh, programs that are on the internet. Uh, how many of these do we have in our homes? that collect dust in large measure, many of them. Some of them are, are, are more favored than others in your homes, aren't they? You have a study Bible. And I have a pulpit Bible, which is also my study Bible. Uh, I had it stolen once, but not this one, my previous one. I can only hope that the man who stole the Bible read it. He actually got four Bibles that day. I hope he's reading all four of them, wherever that may be. Um, you can ask me about that story afterward. I say that to say this. These men had no written texts of the Scriptures that they could go to on a regular basis. These were common men. Um, very few of them had any education whatsoever other than the, the vocation that they were educated in. They didn't have access to these things. And so when Christ instituted signs and seals of the New Covenant, He gave them very simple things that they would relate to every single day. And hopefully, every time they sat down at a meal, their conscience was pricked about these words that Christ gave. Not every meal is a sacramental meal as is instituted here. Um, Sacramental meals are done in the corporate worship of God's people. That's what happened with the corporate worship of the disciples. So we don't have the privilege of 
doing communion any time we please or with anything we want. Jesus instituted the time and the means to do it. But he did that as a remembering benefit for the people of God. And notice that he chose food and drink. Food and drink for the new covenant. Now let's contrast that to the covenants of the Old Testament. In the Proto-Evangelium, in Genesis 3.15, when the first mention of salvation is made after the fall of Adam and Eve, that God would provide a seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, though his heel would be bruised. That Proto-Evangelium promise, that covenantal promise, was attended to because of a need of Adam and Eve to repent of their sins, it was attended with a seal and a sign that God gave them. Do you remember what that was? The skins of animals to cover their nakedness. The very thing that showed them that they had sinned against God was their nakedness. They cowered in the face of God in the garden. And God slew animals and took their skins and made them a covering. A bloody covering. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, the Scriptures teach us. Now that shedding of the animal blood pointed to Christ, as did the promise in Genesis 3.15. It wasn't the blood of those animals that would take away the sin of Adam and Eve. It would be the blood of Christ. But in the Old Covenant, God gave those covenants for the purpose of pointing to something future that would come into full full fruition. Uh, o. Palmer Robertson, I've made mention of this author in the past. He's written a book, The Christ of the Covenants. Very helpful book. And he speaks of the covenants of the Old Testament as very similar to a crescendo in, in a music score. How it starts small, but it grows and builds until it's loud and it's a cacophony of sound that overwhelms you. He says the Proto-Evangelium begins that and as we pass from that to the Noahic Covenant, when God does away with a sinful human race and preserves some, to start anew in covenant with Him and gives a promise, a sign in the clouds, the bow, that no longer would He judge in that form again. That then progresses to the Abrahamic covenant and circumcision, that bloody ritual where the foreskin of the male child is cut off to show a cleansing act in His people. To the Mosaic Covenant. Now this one, uh, we don't have uh, a specific bloody ritual except that in the tabernacle when the atoning sacrifice was to be made, again, the blood of animals, bulls and goats, would be sprinkled upon the, the, the altar. But we also have in that tabernacle a chest. The Ark of the Covenant, which held what? The tablets of stone. 
The written Word of God, written by His own finger, Aaron's rod that would bud forever. These were pictures of the heart of man. This is what was supposed to be in our hearts as Christ dies on the cross later, as the Holy Spirit comes to tabernacle with us. Our hearts are to have the law of God written on them. And if you haven't noticed, that's where we're getting with the new covenant. That's where we're going to. It's written on our hearts and in our minds. The tree of life is supposed to be within us, living within us. And who is that? None other than Christ Himself. Well, Moses' covenant pointed to that as well. And then the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant is the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. We recognize that on Ascension Sunday, just a few weeks away. Ascension Sunday is that often forgot portion of the Gospels, as well as the book of Acts, that first chapter where Christ ascends to the right hand of the Father. For what purpose? The Father says, Psalm 110, verse 1, Sit at my right hand until I make an enemy's a footstool for your feet. All of these point to glorious things that are about to happen, and it all culminates with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus calls our remembrance to all of these beautiful covenantal promises that come to fruition in the new covenant in its fullness, in that cacophony of sound. All of that points to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And when we take this meal, we are doing this in remembrance of Him. We are proclaiming Christ's death until He comes. Well, I spent a lot of time there, but I wanted to bring your attention to one other thing. It's actually not in the the text that I've read, but rather later in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's another cup on that very night that's very important. I want to draw your attention to that. Jesus, after the supper, when they after they had sung the hymn, they leave the place of the of uh, the Passover meal that they had partaken of, and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And in verse thirty-six, we read. In Mark's Gospel. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. You see, there are two important cups that night. The first one, the cup of thanksgiving at the Passover table. The cup that Jesus blessed that became a sign and seal of our redemption that points back to that very thing that reminds God that we are His and He is ours. Do you understand that that's what the sign and seal is for? Is a reminder to God? Do you know that that's why He gave the rainbow in Genesis chapter 9? It wasn't for our benefit. It was to remind Him that He would never again judge us with that form. These signs and seals are just as much a remembrance to God as they are to us because... It's a legal declaration. This is a covenant. And parties have obligations to covenants. 
And God has an obligation here as well. And when we proclaim the Lord's death till He comes at the Lord's table, we are saying that as much to God the Father as we are to the world. But this cup is different. This cup is a cup of wrath. This is a cup spoken of later in the chapter. In verse 36 is the cup that's described in Psalm 75. Turn with me there. Just a few weeks ago we sang this psalm in worship. But hear these words once again. To the chief musician set to do not destroy a psalm of Asaph. A song. It's interesting that this particular psalm is supposed to be set to a certain kind of music. And we don't even know what that music is any longer. But hear these words. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks. For your wondrous works declare that your name is near. When I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. The earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved. I set up its pillars firmly. Say law. I said to the boastful, do not steal boastfully. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one, and He exalts another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, and it's fully mixed, and He pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. This is a cup of wrath. But I will declare forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will also cut off. But the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Brethren, there were two cups on that first Monday, Thursday evening. The cup of thanksgiving and the cup of wrath. Jesus would drink of the cup of wrath but would defer the cup of thanksgiving until that day when He rose again into the kingdom. I mentioned earlier that there are two ways the sins of men are dealt with. Either by a substitutionary atonement or by one's own self. I call all of you to come to the cup of thanksgiving and flee the cup of wrath. If you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Jesus Christ gave His life for the remission of sins. And for those who put their trust in Him, they shall receive that remission. But if not, beware. Like the son of perdition, it would be better that you had not been born when God's wrath falls upon you. As we come to the table in a few moments, keep in mind, this is a victory meal. And when we take this meal in the presence of the living God, when the 
lamb's feast is had and the bride is brought together with the groom, we'll understand it in its fullness. Today we see but a, a glimpse of it. We see through a, a mirror darkly, as Paul says. We don't understand its fullness, but it's there. Because these are the signs and seals of a promise that Jesus made to bring redemption to you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would bless as we come to your table, bless those who partake with the cup of thanksgiving. And should there be some here this evening who've never put their trust in Christ, I pray that today would be the day they do that. And I pray that they would not leave here without first speaking with me and hearing the good news of the gospel. Father, for those of us who have embraced Your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior, who have bowed our knee to Him, who desire to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly before You, we pray that in our humility that You would be pleased to lift us up and set us at Your table, that we might partake of the good fruit of this sacrament. We thank You for... The bread that represents your body, which was smitten for us. We thank you for the wine that speaks to the blood that gives life to those who have no life. So, Father, we give thanks. Bless now your people at your table. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Brethren, there is no hymn of preparation this evening. I'm going to speak up. Lori, I have not put on the lapel, so there's no need to worry about that. Uh, elders, if you come forward as we prepare to serve the Lord's table. I mentioned before that this is a, uh, a victory meal. And the clearest, uh, the clearest indication of that comes from two passages in Scripture, one again from Psalm 110, where Jesus is described as coming in the order of Melchizedek, which is reaffirmed in the book of Hebrews. And of course, Melchizedek was the high priest of Salem. He was both the high priest of Salem and the king of Salem. And when Abraham went to uh, deliver his nephew Lot from enemies, he traveled back through the town of Salem, and he was met by the king of Salem, the king of Shalom, the king of peace. And the king of peace was given a tithe from Abraham of his victory, a tenth of the spoils, which no doubt was a great number. Uh, he had completely defeated Lot's enemies. But Melchizedek then gave a victory meal to Abraham. And that victory meal was bread and wine. And that points to what Christ does. He brings victory to us over sin and death by His death on the cross and His resurrection. He gives us a victory meal to celebrate that now. And one day it will be a victory feast. And with those things in mind, I want to invite you to the Lord's table this evening. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, 
If you've been baptized in his, his church and are members in good standing in his church, we invite you to join with us at the table. This is not closed communion at Trinity. This is for the people of God. If that doesn't describe you, we ask you to pass the elements on. For this is for the people of God. The Bible tells us and warns us that if we take up worthily, that we bring judgment upon ourselves. So I ask you, brethren, examine yourselves. And come to the Lord's table. Now, you say, but Chuck, I'm a sinner and I don't deserve it. You're right, you don't deserve it. And yes, you are a sinner. That Christ died for sinners. That you might come to his table and then gives you the commandment, do this in remembrance of me. Don't heap sin upon sin by ignoring the table. Confess your sins and repent. And then come with thanksgiving in your heart. This is where our faith is built up. This is where God strengthens us for the work of the kingdom. Because we may be, we may be suffering the same fate as Christ, giving our lives for his kingdom someday. Come to a stable. Be nourished in your faith. So that you're prepared to do the work of the kingdom. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we ask now that you set aside these common elements for that important work of edification for your people as we, in corporate worship, come to your table to dine with you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the ones who instituted this meal on our behalf as signs and seals of the faith that you've given us. Help us, O oh Lord, to honor you at your table. Help us to do it with thanksgiving in our hearts and in all humility. Help us to have glad hearts for the victory's been won. You've won it for us. And we are glad. Bless this meal we ask in Christ's name. And for his sake. Amen. On the night which Christ was betrayed, as we've already read this evening, he took bread from the table and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Brethren, I ask you to hold it to all our servants and partake together as one body. It is our practice here at Trinity to read the scriptures as the elements are cast. I've referred twice now to Psalm 110. I will read a portion of that with the elements of serve. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I take, make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall break up the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head.
Paul writes to the Ephesians, For by grace are you saved in faith. It is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Brethren, the body of Christ given for you to take me. Let us pray again. Father, your Son, Jesus, instituted the cup of thanksgiving as the cup of the new covenant. And as he paused to give thanks over that before serving it to his disciples, we pause to give thanksgiving for it because it is a sign and seal of the work you've done on our behalf, and we are grateful. Bless now this cup for the edification of your people. Strengthen our faith, Lord, as we ingest that which was given for us, these symbols. And may it be real to us, as real as the food that we eat each day that sustains us. And we ask this in Christ's name before we say, Amen. After supper that night, Jesus took the cup of thanksgiving from the table, blessed it as it has been done in his name. Gave it to his disciples and he said, This is the new covenant in my blood. All of you drink from it. Again, I ask you to hold it till all are served and we'll partake together. The outer two trays, or the outer two rings on the tray is wine, the inner portion of the tray, grape juice for your use. Again, I ask you to hold it till all are served. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given food to those who fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them to the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. Paul wrote to the Philippians, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And having been found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Brethren, the cup of the new covenant, take and drink. Let us pray. Father, you have taught us from your word that we are to taste and see that the Lord, he is good. We've heard his word read and preached in our hearing this evening. We've sung his praises. We've dined at his table. And now, O oh Lord, as you prepare to send us on our way to do the work of the kingdom. May we go with gladness of heart. 
for the victory is won. May our lips proclaim that good news to the world. And we ask this in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.